Presents a music and talk show where your host Darren Roebuck is joined by a variety of artists, scientists, entrepreneurs, and therapists as they share what's on their minds and give you new ideas and practices to help you get the most out of being you. Can you dig it? Be sure to visit deeporbitstudio.com for links, show notes, and more. Now sit back and take in the view while we blast off into Deep Orbit. to Deep Orbit Presents. Here from Deep Orbit Studio, I am your host, Darren Roebuck, and with me today, I have a wonderful guest, CEO of Prima Temp. She received her bachelor's degree from Purchase University School, where she uh, received a degree in performing arts dance, and then naturally flowed into getting her PhD from Albany Medical School in Biomedical Neuroscience. Uh, recently gave a TED Talk, or a TEDx Talk, if there's a difference, but we'll get into that, on wearable devices, um, at, which, of course, brings you back to her CEO position with PrimaTemp and their uh, main product called OviRing. I'd like to welcome Dr. Lauren Costantini to the show today. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Mr. Roebuck. A pleasure to be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't call me Mr. It makes me feel so nervous. <laughs> So, so much. I mean, where to begin? Um, well, let's go back. Let's let's start with a little bit of your timeline. So you grew up in upstate New York. Yes. Okay. And that's where, uh, when you graduated from high school, you went to Purchase University School to major in dance. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, Rochester was a great place to grow up, but certainly not a great place to do anything besides growing up. <laughs> so as soon as I graduated from high school, I zoomed down to New York City. I had been dancing since I was three years old. Uh, and by the time I was 12, I was doing a couple TV commercials and competing across the country and knew that I wanted to do that for a living. So I went down to uh, a college called Purchase, and they're known for their performing arts, and they're very close to New York City. So we could take our classes and then go into audition um, whenever we were able to on the weekends. And, uh, and so after about a year or so of, of taking dance class and going down into New York City on the weekends, auditioning for Broadway shows, uh, I kept hearing that, you know, you're a really good singer, you're a really good dancer, but you're just too short. So um, I'm five foot one. And back in the day, those were the Bob Fosse choreography days on Broadway. And so if you can remember a chorus line, sure. and those women, the trend on Broadway was tall women with long legs and big boobs. And this is not my physique. <laughs> so, so I did get pretty far at the Cats audition because I guess they needed some kittens, but uh, <laughs> didn't make it even to the last... Didn't make the last cut of cats, and so I regrouped and decided to uh, to follow one of my other loves, which was science, and was taken under the wing of a wonderful neuroscience professor, and that was the beginning of my love for neuroscience. Wow, yeah, I was going to say it's like it just doesn't seem like the typical <laughs> the, the typical performer path, you right. know. Typically, it's audition, 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 be a waitress. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and your audition, 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 be a neuroscientist. <laughs> uh, sure, why not? So uh, what, what brought you then to Albany Medical School? Was it wanting to stay in New York or was it no. something else? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, in between my junior and senior year of undergrad at Purchase, I was working with this neuroscience professor. And during the summers, I was performing at Sesame Place which is the uh, Sesame Street version of Disney World. Oh, wow. So my family, all my relatives are in Philadelphia. 
And so my my family went to upstate New York, but all my relatives are in Philly and right outside of Philadelphia is Sesame Street, Sesame Place. So in the summertime, even after I left dance, I was still going home and my summer job was to be Prairie Dawn and Ernie and Bert and dance all summer. It was a great job. It was such a great job. And... uh, (laughs) What? I just keep thinking, what, what, what kind of costumes did you have to wear? Oh, there were the big, huge, fuzzy costumes, like mascot costumes. So what was interesting is that the, the heads were 25 pounds. <laughs> so after three months of that job, I would go back to college the next year with a neck like a football player. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> because we would be dancing, you know, 20-minute shows every hour on the hour. Mm-hmm. And we'd be in these costumes. It was boiling hot out there. There were no fans. Or people think there's air conditioning in those things. There's not. <laughs> They're just pure fur and fiberglass and you're you're opening your big mouth with a hand uh, mechanism and the head is 25 pounds so you're doing all this very intricate choreography with a 25 pound thing on your head and uh, you get quite the neck muscles <laughs> i can only imagine so first two questions pop into mind first is um is there any video of this existing that we could see <laughs> absolutely i don't know if it's online this was back in you know, VHS days, Uh but I'm sure my dad has them. I'll be seeing my dad this weekend. Maybe I can ask him to pull some out. (laughs) Really would like to see that. What was so intriguing to me, though, is that we would go out in the park in between shows, and uh, this was just kind of the scientist in me coming out. There would be children, and they could be twins, and one would see me in my Ernie costume and just go, with a big smile and come running up to me and throw her arms around me and her identical twin sister would see me and just start screaming bloody murder. And so I always thought that was pretty interesting at such a young age, even twins, you know, how they reacted to big fluffy animals. Interesting twin study. (laughs) Uh, The second question I have is, did you have any weird experiences with furries? No, but I'm familiar with the idea. We did have some pretty good parties, but it did not involve the costumes. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that because furries kind of creep me out. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, it's like craning your head to see the train wreck. Um, awesome. So when I asked you for music suggestions today, you came up with such good ones. Okay. Because, I mean, you and I have really pretty much the same taste in music, so Great. that's kind of neat. Um so, for you listeners out there who were already bored after six minutes, uh, we're going to, um, well, we'll touch on a few things. We're actually going to have a couple songs by Beck. The first one you'll probably be familiar with, and the second one you might not be, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, for now, here is, uh, well, it's my favorite Beck song. This is Deep Orbit Studio Presents.
All right, that was a little Beck from The Information uh, album. Uh, Think I'm in Love was the name of that song, a rather odd video. Normally I say go check out the video, and that's one I think you can skip. <laughs> um, just because Beck's sitting there, he's kind of cut off halfway on one side of the frame, and there's this big dude just standing there uh-huh. looking over his shoulder. Strange. Doesn't really do much, and they're on kind of a plum-colored background, which doesn't match either of their outfits. So, you be the judge, but I say nay to that one. So Lauren and I, during the little break there, we're discussing um, voices. And Lauren, like most people, uh, when looking at the recording going on here, was like, oh God, I don't want to listen to that. I hate my own voice. Um, Most people do. But... In spite of Lauren's amazing credentials, she doesn't know why. So we're going to explain that right now. The reason why people hate their own voices is rather simple. You see, when we speak, we don't really hear the air moving back on our ears because, you know, our mouths are, are pointing away from our ears. And we're actually hearing, you know, sound is all about vibration. Uh, and we can vibrate Anything with our voices or sound can vibrate anything. Uh, so when we speak, we're actually vibrating our jaw and the, the muscles and tissue in our faces. And we're hearing it being conveyed through these rather inefficient media to get to our uh, tympanic membrane. And it's actually even affecting our cochlea inside of the membrane. So we're hearing more than one vibrational source. Uh, and it's also, it's being filtered through our bones and our faces, which is actually decreasing a lot of the high end. So all the crisp kind of sounds are actually kind of being cut off a little bit. And it's really just slowing down the waves. So we're hearing kind of different tones. Mm. Um, But when we speak to each other, one, we're speaking into each other's ears, but we're also speaking through the air. We're hearing us through the air, which is a very efficient medium for sound transmissions to move. So we're used to hearing each other like we actually sound, but we're used to hearing ourselves in the way that we only hear our we only hear ourselves one way. And so when we hear our, the playback, everyone's like, oh, yeah, you're normal. But you're like, no, I'm not. I sound like way different than that. <laughs> and uh, so that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like in my mind, I feel like my voice is a lot lower and like I sound like Johnny Cash in my head and I hear the playbacks and I'm like kind of like an upbeat sounding kind of guy. And I'm like, you know, no, I don't sound like that. I'm Johnny Cash in my head. <laughs> And I kind of like being Johnny Cash. <laughs> anyway, enough on that. Let's get back to Dr. Lauren Costantini, which we'll just call her Lauren from now on. Because whenever time I call her doctor, she rolls her eyes and kind of <laughs> blushes and giggles a little bit. And I can tell <laughs> she doesn't really care for that. So, <clears throat> Lauren, um, you recently gave a TED Talk. Yes. Which I attended. And it was absolutely Awesome! I had the best time. It was so great. I can't wait till it comes out for everyone else to see. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was, uh, well, and also it was in comparison to all the others there, you just schooled them. So, not that it was a contest, but still. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, I've watched a lot of the TED Talk compilations and seen the best ofs, and you're absolutely on par with that. I can't wait till I see you on Netflix. You're too kind. Yeah, I'm realistic. But anyway, so you gave a TED Talk about wearable devices, which I know is part of what you're doing there with Primatemp. Um, but what I want to know is what was it like to give a TED Talk? In particular, now this is just my first question, what was it like to walk out there, stand <laughs> on the red dot, and look out at the audience? Uh-huh. That was quite a moment. And my friend Darren Roebuck was the person who reminded me that morning to take in that moment, which I, to this day, am still thanking him for reminding me of that. <laughs> so thank you for that. You're very welcome. It was, uh, well, I had seen my first TED Talk probably six or seven years ago, and they're inspiring, of course. And then I went to my first TED event about three years ago, and I sat in the audience and literally had said, I need to be up there someday because I have this background in performing and I love being on a stage and I never really get nervous. I, I really love being in front of people like that. And uh, even when I'm doing scientific presentations or pitching my company to a room full of investors, I turn it into a performance. I'm kind of like I walk out and although I'm giving a PowerPoint presentation, I f- in my head I'm singing Cats. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I want to entertain them and I want to surprise them and I want to integrate them into their performance. And so um, there, being it, and this is a TEDx conference, so TEDx are more local, uh, but they've integrated themselves a little bit more into the full TED um, platform over the past year or two so that the TEDx videos will be integrated into the TED uh, the TED website eventually. The chosen ones, I guess, the chosen few, which I'm not sure if I'll make that cut. But uh, but you do have to kind of follow the TED um, platform, and they do tell you in advance, you know, several ways of presenting. They don't really coach you, but the process was multiple meetings with the TED organizers even before they told you that you're going to be a speaker. So there's this long multiple lunches of sort of getting to know me as a person. Um, don't talk about your idea. Let's just talk about things that you like and and how you react to things. And so it was multiple just sit down and and shoot the shit, so to speak, with the, with the TED organizers. And then you sort of put together your idea of a pitch or a talk. And then they review that, and then they tell you that you're a presenter, and then you're pretty much on your own. So by the time you get to that stage, you haven't done too much with them after that initial get-to-know-you. There's a few dress rehearsals, but not many. And so they basically said, because we got to know you so well, we knew that you were the type of person that you won't need a lot of work. So they carefully choose you before you even start working on your talk knowing that you'll do okay. So would it be safe to say that they're just looking for people who generally could just walk out there and talk about something for 11 minutes or whatever it is, uh, and not necessarily giving a presentation? Exactly, exactly. So that's why, that's interesting to see because you know, you do see commonalities in the speaking style uh, when you watch all the, the TED Talks. It's people are pretty generally engaging. They are, and, and TED does not coach you on that. That's what's interesting. They do not say, act like this, do this, you come out that day and you stand on that red dot for the first time. And I just stared at it and took a lot of pictures of it before <laughs> I even walked out there. <laughs> I just went the dot, the dot. Uh -huh. I didn't kneel down and kiss it, but I was close to it. That'd be kind of gross. That's carpet after all. <laughs> yes, it is. But, um, but yeah, they, they really don't give you much direction. And they just assume that you have that sort of personality. And that's why what you just mentioned is perfect in that Everyone sort of has a common way of being engaging, but they all have such different backgrounds. It has little to do with your resume and more to do with your sort of speaking ability or your desire to to transfer these great ideas to people and your enthusiasm to talk about them. So, in a way, they're casting for the five foot six chorus line girl of speakers. <laughs> right. Everyone's exactly. kind of fits a niche. Yep. And if you don't fit the niche, you don't make the cut. That's true. Perfect. Well, well said. I have to say it, it was a fun day to see all that stuff. Um, and uh, I hope that when it does become available to the public, is there actually, do you know of a date or anything when that no, might happen? No, they sent me a message today saying that they're finalizing the editing, but they just keep saying coming soon, coming soon. So I actually have no idea. <laughs> well, I hope you let us know and I'll certainly post it uh, on the Deep Orbit Studio website when it uh, does come up. And uh, for those of you that didn't see any of the Facebook posts, uh, the first two episodes of the show are now available on DeepOrbitStudio.com. So you can check those out and I'll be putting up a couple every so often until it finally becomes a real live podcast on iTunes. Uh, and I hit the big time. My name in lights. What does that even mean, name in lights? Broadway. Oh. Or Vegas. It may have originated in Vegas, but well, yeah, your name on the. Oh, just on the, mar on the marquee. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I'm used to the marquees of these days where your name's actually a shadow on the light. <laughs> right, but, right. Well, anyway, that's when what'll happen once the, once the, the podcast goes up. So um, the TED Talk experience sounds very interesting. So, what did you talk about? Oh, uh, so I've been intrigued for the past couple of years with all of these quantified self wearable sensors. Wait, 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 wait. Quantified self wearable sensors. That requires a definition. Well, there are two different terms, actually. So okay. wearable sensors are sort of the, um, the way to get to the revolution of the quantified self, which is upon us right now. 
So quantified self is self-knowledge through self-tracking. Got it. And in order to self-track, you need wearable sensors. So you're quantifying yourself. Or a team of experts following you around. Well, that's how it used to be, really. So if you think about it, we could only really learn about our bodies if we went to the doctor's office. Um, and now we can learn a lot about our bodies simply by going to the store and purchasing these wearable sensors. We don't have to have all these professional medical people following us around and testing us. We can do it ourselves now. So I find that not only interesting just from a self-knowledge standpoint, but in the grander scheme of the terrible uh, topic of healthcare and changing the face of healthcare, that it's making a big impact on healthcare also. So, but but the talk was more about these wearable sensors are getting so popular and they're very high tech, and we usually think of technology as very separate from us being humans. But I wanted people to start considering technology as a way of tapping into a a, a more enriched humanity by learning about your body and how to capitalize on parts of your body and your mind that you haven't been able to tap into before. So that's sort of what it was about. I don't know if everyone got it, but that was the goal. I think everybody got it. <laughs> Just saying. But, you know, um, this is so interesting. We're going to come back and talk about it a little bit more. But we're going to uh, jump into our next, uh, our next little musical segment just for a brief few minutes. Um, a band I actually really like. Uh, soul coughing, one of your favorites, I know, or, you, or you wouldn't have said it. Yep. Uh, and actually, I got a chance to uh, meet those guys back. Oh, well, actually, it was just. Yeah, I know. I got a little slap on the leg for that <laughs> wow, one. Wow, you a, a met sla them. A slap of jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Little people that want to meet soul coughing. Uh, actually, it was Mike Dowdy in, in his. Uh, it, when it, during his solo tour, my buddy was oh. his guitar tech, and so actually even got to play his guitar. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was actually kind of neat. Um, and uh, he seemed like a really nice guy and certainly a great band. And I I got to say, I normally don't say I love his voice, but for him, I love his voice. I just do. It sounds so cool. It's And it's so unique. But anyway, enough about them. Here they are. Oh, now I have to listen. Walk around in circles, 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 wal
All right, that was Soul Coughing with Circles uh, here on Deep Orbit Studio Presents. And of course, we're here with Lauren Costantini. I can't say doctor anymore. <laughs> oh, wait, I just said it. <laughs> and we're talking about a really fascinating topic, which is wearable devices and how it's really changing the lives of people. Uh, I know in your talk, you had a couple of really amazing examples. And the one that I was got the biggest wow out of was the guy who lost weight. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So tell us, tell us about that. <laughs> his name, he is, he, his name is Chris Dancy. He actually is in Denver, but he is known across the world as the most connected man. In that, every on any given day, he's wearing twenty or thirty wearable sensors, and he's been tracking himself. <laughs> Talk about the twenty-five pound head. <laughs> Well, he'll he'll wear sensors that are connected to himself and connected to his house and connected to his animals and and he's always trying to improve himself on many levels. One sensor he wears that will start playing it tracks his breathing and his heart rate and if he starts getting tense, classical music starts playing in his house so that he's just reminded to take a step back and think about what he's doing and why he's getting stressed. And so it's just all these little alerts and reminders that are helping him control lots of aspects of his life that he felt out of control of. That's amazing. So how did he lose weight? Yes, he lost 100 pounds, but not by dieting. All of these different wearable sensors were indicating that his calorie intake was directly correlated with the people he was hanging out with and the lighting in the restaurants where he ate. And so by changing those triggers, by hanging out with different people. Wait, 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 wait. So the people he was changing, the people he was hanging out with. People he was we eating with. Eating with. Yep. And changing the type of lighting where he ate. Correct. Or at least going to the places where the lighting was appropriate. Absolutely. He lost 100 pounds. He lost 100 pounds. Without dieting or exercising any more than he was before. So... It just shows Holy you shit. that these That's... social triggers can really affect the way you eat. Do you know what the lighting situation was like? No, no. Or what the friends were like? No. <laughs> well, for friends, there are actually studies now that show that if you hang out with friends who don't have any self-discipline eating-wise, you'll you'll gain weight. You'll eat like they do. And then the, if you hang out with friends when you're eating that do have self-discipline and they cut their hamburger in, in half and they take half home, mm -hmm. you're likely to do that too. If you look across the table and your friend's eating the whole hamburger, you're less likely to take half of yours home. And that's well known scientifically. Indeed. Like, and I can see that just from my own life. You know, if a friend orders the second beer and I wasn't really thinking exactly. about it, but then I go, oh, sure. Exactly. I wasn't thinking about that. Yep. Uh, I wasn't thinking about having the souffle, but now it sounds good. <laughs> exactly. But he actually showed that it, it is really impactful on his on his body weight. So, yeah. Well, was a good 100 one. pounds impactful. That's yeah. that's enormous. Yeah. yeah. That, 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 that part of it blew my mind. <laughs> but tell us about some, some more of these things. I mean, it's all kind of new to me. All I know about is like the Nike Fit thing or, right. you know, and, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, we're, we're looking now at more what we call clinically relevant wearable sensors. So the Fitbits and the Jawbones and the Nike Fuels, they're activity trackers, and they just kind of tell you whether you've had an active day or a not active day. Clinically relevant wearable sensors are those that help really solve a problem. And one of them is Ring, which is the one that we're working on, which is a wearable sensor that a woman wears that continuously tracks these subtle changes that occur in her body before ovulation. And then when she's most fertile, it sends an alert to her smartphone. Now, is this like a belt or a necklace? This is a, a cervical ring, actually. Oh, <laughs> so there are different. cervical rings on the market now that mm -hmm. contain medication that a woman inserts herself. She puts it in just like a tampon. And she leaves it in for a month, and she takes it out and throws it away and puts another one in. So there's cervical rings that contain birth control medication or estrogen for menopause. So we simply took the medicine out and put a temperature sensor in, and she wears it a month at a time, and it continuously tracks her temperature. And she's looking for that small, subtle change that indicates ovulation is going to take place. And as soon as that change happens, we send an alert to her smartphone. How's the data transmitted? Bluetooth. Bluetooth. Yep. So... That brings up a question, which is radiation. Yes. We've done the calculations. Clearly, this is going to be an FDA-regulated device, and there are requirements put in place. The FDA has uh, already approved several internal devices that work via Bluetooth. 
that are hundreds fold higher energy transmission. We don't call it radiation. <laughs> we call it energy transmission. Right, it's, because, it's not uranium decaying. Right. That's exactly it. Radiation <laughs> indicates that heat is being produced and nothing that you can put in your body that the FDA would let you put on the market produces enough heat to do damage. So our ring is only transmitting to the phone a few times a day. So it's continuously tracking your temperature, which is not Bluetooth, mm-hmm. but it only Bluetooths to your, your phone a few times a day. So it's f- about 20 milliseconds each transmission. So our calculations show that it's 100-fold less energy than your smartphone, which is so, sitting in your pocket. A, so a total of 80 milliseconds. That's right, per day. That's like you, can bear, you can't even count 80 milliseconds. That's, so the energy and, and that's the cumulative. So it's virtually negligible in terms of exactly. the impact to your body. That's right. We, we would never want to put something out there that was going to have a poor effect on a woman's reproductive organs when it's sitting <laughs> right next to it. Why would we do that? <laughs> right, right. But, you know, I mean, people, these are questions that would sure, come up. You absolutely. Know? I'm We're sure, absolutely. We're going to have to educate. sitting there eating their Fritos right now going, wait a second. Yep, absolutely. Um, we'll have to have some education in our marketing materials for sure. Yeah, but it's still kind of blowing my mind. I want to ask questions, but I have to get past the mind blow first. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I've, I've been learning a little bit more about this through the voiceover work that I do. As as odd as it may sound, I learn a ton about science and technology because these companies hire me to make their videos. So I've been working with a company now for almost a year. I think I've done pushing 50 videos for them, uh, a company called Sleeprate. Ah. And you can go to sleeprate.com. Uh, they make, um, I'm just constantly impressed by what they do. But it's uh, sleep scientists at Stanford that are working on this stuff. And the, uh, uh, the production team is in uh, Tel Aviv. Um, and actually, the, on- the one and only time I've had a teleconference, I know that's like an everyday thing in your life, but, <laughs> but, but my, my one and only telecon was with a Stanford neuroscientist, a sleep scientist, and, uh, and then the project manager in Tel Aviv. And I was like, that was, I was having a major, like, <laughs> You know, spaceman spiff kind of moment there, but, um, but what the, uh, the their device does is really cool. It basically will uh, track. You, you wear a heart rate monitor, and then that's cooked up to the app in the in your phone, and it measures your sleep and by your respiration rate can tell whether you're you're in you know first, second, third, or fourth stage of sleep huh. and how long you're there and how well you stay in it, hmm. uh, in the, and you know if you're waking up or not. Um, the video I just did or the voiceover I just did was all about people's awareness of how much they wake up in the middle of the night. That a lot of people will wake up. It's normal to wake up one to three times in the middle of the night, but it's also normal to not have any recollection of it. Huh. And some people will think, oh, I woke up 10 times and they woke up twice. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. Because of stage one sleep, which is just kind of like dozing. You're actually kind of conscious. And so you don't even think you're asleep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but what this app does beyond that is if you're having trouble sleeping, then it will start to use the other smartphone features to measure the room. Oh, wow. So it'll like turn on the microphone and listen to the room. So like maybe <laughs> your partner that you're sleeping next to snores and uh-huh. neither of you knew it before. Uh-huh. Or maybe it just happens to be the 3 a.m. freight train that rolls by. <laughs> that, Which we have in Boulder here. That, 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 <laughs> that wakes you up. Um but it also will uh, measure the light in the room. Like it could actually turn on and start taking video of your sleep environment. Oh my goodness! And so maybe there's the the flashing neon hotel sign outside that's that's waking you up. And it gives you information on how to improve all those things. It, it, it takes that and then it uh, starts to get you onto a regular sleep schedule. Oh, wow! Which is the the big deal about having good sleep is all about going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time. Go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, and really being diligent about it. Mm. Uh, and if you're having trouble waking up when, like, if you have to get up early for your job, but your natural uh, circadian rhythm is to wake up at 10 a.m., they say to immediately. When you get up, uh, have a light box in your in your room that has uh, like white light, you know, like clear or I shouldn't say clear, but like like the sun, like multiple mm-hmm. wavelength white light that you stare at and that turns your brain on. It's all uh, about light. Yeah. And but you can also fight jet lag using the, the similar uh, similar techniques. Huh. Um, and then 
If you're still having trouble relaxing or falling asleep, they give you guidelines for what to do before bed, that you bed's only for sleeping and sex, that's it. And um, you, know, you don't read in bed, you certainly don't work in bed, you mm. don't, uh, you know, if you're having a spat with your, with your partner, you don't do that in bed because you don't want to associate bed with anything other than sleeping or sex. Uh-huh. Um, and then if you're having trouble relaxing, then you can click another part of the app where my voice comes in oh. and, and gives you a very relaxing, meditative instruction <laughs> really? for five minutes and allows you to drift off into dreamland. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. But, uh, very I was, nice. But I'm very amazed at how... That's a perfect example of a wearable sensor that's changing the way we live our lives and changing the way we're humans. That was kind of the point is it's not just a Fitbit, let's get more active. It's really changing the way we're acting as humans. Hmm. Yeah. Sleep rate. Sleep, huh. Yeah. Check it out, everybody. Sleeprate.com. <laughs> they actually launched just a few months ago, um, and apparently it's all doing very well. Um, I'm, I'm stoked with it. I mean, you know, having, I did all the educational videos and so I got to learn all about what the product's about and it's just super cool. And then when I got to talk to one of the scientists at Stanford, I was very impressed with, uh, well, it's like talking with Lauren here. It's just a delightful, (laughs) intelligent person who was telling me, don't say it like you're creepy. That was, that was her, that was, that was her direction to me, which I thought was really funny. Mm -hmm. That was for the, for the meditation. (laughs) Right. Well, it was. I was supposed to speak very slowly and calmly for the meditative things, and I delivered a, a take that way. She's like, "You sound creepy." Oh, jeez. Like, well, how would you do it then? <laughs> Fine. Not charging you guys enough. <laughs> All right, so um, we're gonna jump into what I would know as your favorite band. For now. Okay. It changes every few years, but yes, for now, this is my favorite band. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask, is it really your favorite band? <laughs> and it's been her favorite band since she was four, and now we're going to play some Sean Cassidy. <laughs> oh, I love Sean Cassidy. <laughs> oh, see, I knew it. I knew it. Sean Cassidy followed by Donny Osmond. Oh, gosh. I only say that because my sister had a mm. Donny Osmond superstar poster in her bedroom. A superstar. That my mom wanted to take down, and she threw a huge mm-hmm. fit. Mm-hmm. I was in her shoes before. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I'm sorry, Sean Cassidy fr- fans out there. <laughs> We're going to play a band that I like. Ha <laughs> uh, This is one of the most remarkable groups I have ever seen. They were huge in Europe before I ever saw them, and I was just taken to the Fox by one of the Fox mm-hmm. owners to see them. They're like, Darren, you got to see this group. And I was like, okay. He's like, they, they're huge in Europe. They had never played in the U.S., but they had been playing stadiums in uh, in the U.K. So they played to the 700 people at the Fox like they were playing at Wembley Stadium. Oh. It was insane. It was such a good show. And Yay. that's all I will say about them. Oh, by the way, the next year when they went to go play Wembley Stadium, they sold out 134,000 tickets in 20 minutes. Ugh, I don't, I, I'm not surprised. Holy they're, crap. They're bigger, they're larger than life. They are larger than life. And they're three people, but they have a sound that sounds like a whole lot more than that. They have amazing technology, amazing songwriting. Uh, I could go on and on and on, but I'm not. I'm just going to hit the play button and let you listen to Muse.
So we were both here totally crushing out on news. Um, <laughs> that video is really cool, too, because it has something that I personally adore, which is teddy bears with fangs. <laughs> something about the combination of evil and cute that I just love. You know, I would, you know, most teddy bears I'd like walk right past. But a teddy bear with fangs, that makes me think about snuggling. How about you, Lauren? I have never given any thought to teddy bears with fangs. I'm just picturing the abominable snowman from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's the closest thing I can think of of a bear with fangs. Remember the big white one? Mm Mm-hmm. I do. (laughs) I wouldn't snuggle with him. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a little... That gets back to the whole furry thing, I think. (laughs) That's right. Oh, God, mascots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Something a little weird. You you know there's someone in there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Teddy bear with fangs, that's just a stuffed animal. (laughs) So as I was telling Lauren during our little break there, I actually got to see them at the Fox uh, after they'd been huge in Europe. They sold it like they were playing at a stadium. It was the most uh. unbelievable thing, the most the most professional show I'd seen there. And this was after uh, working uh, at that theater for a long time as one of the production guys and seeing, you know, just working there six nights a week when it was three bands a night. You know, you do the math. It was like a thousand bands the first year. Um, and she, Lauren asked, what were some of the best? And Muse was definitely in the top 10, uh, for sure, because it was just the most professional group I'd ever seen on that stage, where they came out, they played 90 minutes, uh, they played probably six songs, where when they finished one, they were counting off the next, they finished one, and they were counting off the next, they finished one, they were counting off the next, and after they finished about six of those, the singer steps up and goes, hi, we're Muse, and then counts off the next. It was just no talk, more rock. And that's something that I, as a performer and as just a music fan, just love to see. I hate it when they step up and are like, hey, yes, how's it going? Uh, We had burgers today, you know? And it's like, who cares? Play your music. So the night before I went to their concert in Texas last year, I got an email saying, just to remind you, Muse comes on promptly at 8.30. And... We were at the concert, and they came on exactly 8.30, and they played till exactly 10 o'clock. And I just kind of went, wow, they're punctual. I love them even more. <laughs> they're on time? Yes. I could travel with them. I think I will. Well, you also asked um, other groups that I'd seen, and the other one that I mentioned is one that I think is actually very similar to Muse in terms mm-hmm. of their sound. Um, although Muse pulls it off with three people, and this group pulls it off with six. Uh, but it's a group called Gomez. Uh, who are also out of the UK. Uh, if you don't know them, check them out. They're uh, one of my favorite bands. And to see them perform was absolutely amazing because, uh, for one, it's three lead singers. Oh, wow. So the first three songs were sung by three different guys, and they all had different sounds. Huh, so you can tell that they write the songs, too. And even though they had, uh, well, let's see, only the drummer, the drummer was the only one of the six that wasn't a multi-instrumentalist. So they had nine separate music stations set up on the stage, and they bounce around between them. Oh, that's amazing. It I was, love seeing that. And they're like, they're like at a picnic. They're smiling and laughing at each other. Like half of the band isn't even wearing shoes. And they're just pulling off all of this intricate stuff. I was really, really blown away. I'm just going to write it down. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to pause a moment while no. Lauren takes notes no, on our no. show. I have to write and everything into my A few people would like smart. to take notes too, we'll give you the the intermission music do, now. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. Sorry. Okay, we're done taking notes. Yes, it's only a five-letter word. Um, so, one thing that I haven't mentioned that I know about Lauren is that you never want to challenge Lauren to a bike race for money because she will smoke your ass. <laughs> She is one of the people that I know who is so freaking fast on a bicycle that it's just like you can't go for a ride together. It's more like I'll see you when uh, when we show up for beers later and and they'll be on their third. That's (laughs) not true. I love to go any pace. I love going conversation. I love going fast. I love going slow. I can go any pace, really. I mean, I can't go really fast, but I love going just conversation pace. I would never just... Say, see you, bye. <laughs> see you back at the coffee shop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wasn't saying that you would. Okay. Just saying that you could. <laughs> okay. 
So, so you you have some pretty serious accomplishments though as a bicycle racer and as a cyclocross racer. Uh, give us a little give oh, some of the highlights gosh. of your of your cycling career. It's like the second part of my life. I I was a dancer for so many years and then I started mountain bike racing when I was in grad school. I just bought a mountain bike just to get around town. My friend signed me up for a race and uh, started doing pretty well. And loved it, but definitely my whole body changed. You know, long, lean muscles when I was a dancer, and now as an athlete, they're kind of short, bulky muscles kind of thing. My legs look very different than they used to as a dancer. <laughs> but um, I started, I love mountain bike racing. I love uh, cyclocross, which if anyone's familiar with it, it's kind of the steeplechasing of cycling. Um, I guess my greatest accomplishment was I won the bronze medal at Worlds in 2003, way back when I was young and fast. <laughs> and now I'm just old and washed up. So I <laughs> still yeah, wait, live excuse in my... Excuse <laughs> me, old and washed up person. Um, I brought it up because when I see you post stuff on Facebook, it tends to be you standing on the high part of the podium. Oh, I don't think I post those. Other people oh. post those. <laughs> Either way. Um, well, I still do pretty well at the cyclocross races. In I don't race pro any longer. I race in what's called the master's category, so it's age category. Um, but I was racing pro until about two years ago and just realized that I couldn't hack it with the 20-year-olds anymore. So um, Damn 20 now I'm with the 35-plus, which are still 10 years younger than me in most cases, but... Um, I just do it so I don't get too fat in the winter. That's my goal right now. It's not the podium. It's so I can eat all winter. <laughs> and you wind up on the podium. That, that I think, is literally having your cake and eating it, too. <laughs> That's very well put. <laughs> so aside from being able to eat all you want, is that really what keeps you into it? Yeah, I hate to say it. Well, the community, too. I mean, Boulder is known as being a little bit aggro. But I have a really good circle of fun friends that I like to ride with. And fun friends with, with national championships, by the way. <laughs> no, and I'm really getting into not racing. Like this past weekend, we just did a whole bunch of fun races. And it was a big race weekend. And all the racers were not where we were. We were just out mountain biking the great trails in Boulder, just having fun. And no one was on the trails because everyone that I knew was racing. But I have my friends who we just love to go out and have a good time. So... I'm in the twilight of my racing career. <laughs> I like to just have fun now. That's good. You know, I, being in Boulder, uh, if for those of you out there who aren't familiar with Boulder's reputation, it's a place where a lot of professional athletes come to train and then ex-professional athletes remain to die. Um, <laughs> exactly. But they live such a long time being so fit. <laughs> Uh, so they live, they, they die very slow deaths. But uh, since there's so many professional athletes who stay here because it's a lovely environment and, you know, well, whatever. Um, people like me, average Joe but cycle commuter, ends up getting to know a handful of uh, of these top-notch and racers. And former triathlete, Darren, don't uh, sell yourself short. You were a triathlete for many years yourself. I, I was a triathlete yes, for many years which myself. I, I would d- never touch that sport. It's so crazy. So you're a rock star. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> three sports in one. Three sports in one. Unbelievable. I get bored easy. Unbelievable. <laughs> I like to swim. But it's really a wow. bike race with a run and a swim attached to it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't know how you could do it. That's what they tell me. Uh, well, I really like swimming, and I'm a fast runner. And then the bike race is just to get to the running start. That's <laughs> transportation. Yeah, the I sit there, ride my bike, and watch everybody pass me, and then I pass them again on the run. <laughs> Perfect. That 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 easy. But uh, it is interesting to see um, how people around here who are these top-notch people or have you know uh, won a lot of races, and then you see them in the twilight of their careers. <laughs> Or, you know, their past careers when they're coaches or whatever, or like they're in their 50s and they look like they're 30. <laughs> they're still like really trim. Uh, and they're, you know, they'll just be like, yeah, sure, let's go for a mountain bike ride, whatever. And, you know, and once again, it's like, yeah, I'll catch up when you're on your second year. <laughs> it's sometimes a tough place to live. Yeah. You, th- you think it's a tough place well, to live? Well, it's competitive. Definitely. You know, you can't. So there are a lot of people that you can't just go for an easy ride with them. So they're just very competitive. I can understand that. Yeah. yeah. When I was in the triathlon club, yeah. there was guys that were just like, "We're gonna knock out 125 miles today." 
And I was like, okay, <laughs> see ya. Right. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to sit back here with these people. We're going to talk about what we're going to have for lunch after. Mm-hmm. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. One thing I have to say, though, about living in Boulder and seeing the athletes, uh, there was a, a point in time when I worked out at a place that was about 10 miles from my house, and I would often ride my bike to work and back, which was nice just to right. keep up some maintenance. Um, but I would often pass the Nigerian uh, um, marathoners, like oh, Olympic the marathoners. Yeah, yeah. I, I see them training all the time, and I thought they were so cool because they were always running in a line. They always wore matching tracksuits. Like mm -hmm. on different days, they would choose which tracksuit to wear, and they were always just doing their like slow pace run or whatever. Or I don't know, maybe these guys just don't get out of breath. But um, <laughs> they'd run by, and they got to where they'd, they'd recognize me, and so I'd wave, and they'd be like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> saying stuff in there in Nigerian, and I was like, "Wow, that's cool." Uh, and then I'd and then the Olympics come around, and I recognized him. I was oh, like, "I wow. see." I was like, "That guy running, winning the eight hundred. I know him. <laughs> I saw him at Arapahoe." Yeah. His name's <laughs> it's like, well, no, now you see the little Chinese team, the little uh, the Chinese women. I thought they were Japanese. Oh, they I, could I, be. I know the Japanese marathoners live here, but I, I wouldn't be surprised okay. if the Chinese did well, too. Well, could be. But they always seem to be running pretty slowly too. But I was riding my bike on Magnolia a couple years ago, and they were all running up Magnolia. And there was a van behind them and a guy on a bullhorn screaming at them from the van following them. And they looked, they, I mean, they didn't seem bothered at all, but it was stressing me out hearing this guy <laughs> screaming at them. They were used to the abuse, I suppose. Yes. For those of you that don't know Magnolia Road, it's like a 15-degree slope. It is so insanely I, steep. I'm almost positive I was coming down it, actually. So, But they were running up it with this van behind them. With somebody screaming. <laughs> with a bullhorn. Could only hope it was anyway, encouragement. that's how you get to Olympics. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know, if there was a guy following me in a, in a van with a bullhorn screaming at me in Chinese, I'd go faster, too. I would. Well, Lauren, I have to say it's been wonderful having you on the show. I, I hope we get to have wow. you back at some point. It was a pleasure. And we'll talk about more wearable devices, biking fast, and other cool music stuff. And um, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. It uh, was a pleasure. You're very welcome. <laughs> We're going to jump into the very last piece here, which is a Beck song. Um, and for those of you that don't know, Beck released an album, I guess it was a year and a half or two years ago, or do you remember? Something like that. Mm -hmm. um, that was all sheet music. He didn't record any of the music. It was one of these sort of fight the music industry kind of things where he was like, if, you know, I want, if people are going to take my music anyway, uh, it's like, I'm just going to give it to him as sheet music. Um, actually, I think he sold it. But either way, um, he was giving it to people and letting it emerge through social media, YouTube and stuff. Um, as other people's interpretations of what he wrote. So um, there are some groups like this woman, uh, Amy Reagan, uh, and she's playing with a different group here, but uh, they actually went out and learned all 20 songs. Um, so I thought this might be kind of fun. Let's just play one of these, and that's how we're going to round it out today. This has been Deep Orbit Studio Presents. I'm Darren Roebuck, and I hope you'll check in at deeporbitstudio.com to check out past episodes and uh, also check out DJR VoiceOver, DJR Kids Books, and uh, if you like the show, buy one of my books so I don't starve. Not that I starve, but anyway. I know, I had to tug at your heartstrings. Anyway, here's, here's Amy Reagan with, uh, I don't even know what the name of the song is, but it's one of Beck's songs. Here we go. Thanks for listening. It's my pleasure to welcome Amy Regan and The End of America, or members of The End of America. So before we get into your performance, just real quickly, tell us how you ended up on this stage. Well, when I first heard about Beck releasing a book of sheet music, I was really excited, and not just because I'm a huge Beck fan, but because... As a musician, so much of my experience of learning and growing as a musician was, was time spent with sheets, books of music, and you know, doing classical piano and standards, and it, it was such wonderful personal moments. So when I, when I heard about this, I wanted to be a part of it. So I, um, I decided to get together a bunch of musicians in New York, and between myself and a few other bands, including The End of America, who's here tonight, and um, Danny Ross and a bunch of other great New York musicians. We learned all 20 songs in two weeks, so it was a really incredible experience. And it's for anyone who hasn't heard all of them, you should definitely go out there on the internet, hear them all, because it's such a great collection of songs. 
Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here, and we're anxious to hear your interpretations. So please take it away, Amy Regan and The End of America. Do we ever want to take the low road? Do we ever just want to say we're through? Do we want to close the door and throw away the key? Do we? We do. Do we want to just look on the dark side? We do. 